What's happening? It's time. Need some guitar riff. What do you want? What do you got? What do you want me to play? Something good. I'm thinking a little... Uh, Am I out there? I feel like I'm in Spain getting ready to to have some tapas. Thank you. Our first offering that we ever had at Influence Church seven years ago, um, I looked over and I said, hey, who's doing the offertory today? And they go, well, we don't have an offertory planned. And uh, so the first offertory we ever had was B.B. Uh, King. And uh, I don't know, it just kind of grew on us, and then the band jams kind of just kind of stayed with us. So if you ever wonder why we do some of the things we do, we don't really know. It wasn't strategic. It was just cool, right? And cool is good, amen? It's all right. So we have great musicians and, and great singers, and we just love to, to uh, celebrate them, amen? Celebrate them. Well, it's good to be back, and I've just really had this huge fire in my heart this week for this subject of discipleship. And I know we've been preaching on it, uh, you know, based on this workbook here, Kingdom Discipleship. I really encourage you to get a copy of it. We're gonna do some training, some real intense training for those of you who wanna be a real discipler in the kingdom. Uh, we'll have that coming up in uh, November, and we'll give you dates on that uh, in the next week or two. But think about this. If, if you don't share your faith and reproduce your life in the life of someone else, then all the efforts to get you to this point in your Christian life have ended. Because somebody told somebody who told somebody who told you. And what we have to do is we have to realize that God wants us to reproduce ourselves in the life of someone else so that they become kingdom followers. So when you lead someone to Christ, let's say you do that, or you encounter a new believer, when you pour your life into them and disciple them, that discipleship is not complete until that person has discipled someone else. And that's the principle of discipleship. If you look at the life of Jesus, he reproduced his life in the life of 12, and then one dropped the ball, Judas. But 11, think about this, 11 transformed the first century world, and every one of you here can trace your spiritual heritage back to one of those 11 or Jesus. Now, we can't reproduce that family tree. 23andMe can't figure it out. But somewhere along the line, you were transformed because somebody faithfully delivered the gospel of Jesus Christ to you Somebody undergirded you in prayer. Someone sustained you to the place to where you said there's a value in being in church. This is important to me. Let's not let it stop there, amen? Let's, let's be challenged anew and afresh in the kingdom with these kind of things. Let me show you a couple of charts, and we're gonna walk through all of these uh, extensively in the next several weeks so you should get a feel for it. It's also, uh, you can find this in your discipleship book. The notes from today, as the notes in all of these are on our app, you can just go to sermons, flip it over, and there's all the sermon notes. So everything I'm gonna say to you today that is in structure will be there, 
There's things I get off the map, and they won't be there, okay? So let's start with this. God's supreme goal is the establishment of his kingdom in the universe. The kingdom is bigger than the church. The kingdom goes not just in what we call time and space, that is from when God created heaven and earth, until he culminates all things at his, at his uh, final return, but it really includes everything that he has created, both seen and unseen, visible and invisible, powers, principalities, angels, everything falls under the realm of God. And the Bible is God-centric, meaning that everything in there is about him. We benefit from it. He's brought us in as children, but it is God-centric, and he is to be glorified in honor in all things. God said, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I do not share with another, nor do I give my praise to any graven image. So it never can be about us. It has to be about him. And when it's about him, we become a better version of us. Did you hear that? It's only when it's about him that you become a better version of you. Because then you understand who you are, who you're created in the image of God. You begin to fully function as God intended you to function with all your gifts, all your skills, all the, the history that you have, and you become a dynamic force on the earth. So God's supreme goal, now let's look at it in three phases. Phase one is Old Testament. So God paints all these pictures through Old Testament to help us to understand truth. For example, one of the offerings of the Old Testament was a lamb. That lamb was a picture of the coming lamb of God, Jesus, who would die for your sins and my sins. The ark, Noah's ark. We don't typically think about that other than just it kind of saved everybody from a lot of water, all right? The reality is it's a picture of salvation. There was only one door in the ark. You entered into the ark. It was sealed, the Bible says. It was sealed. It's the word, same word for atonement. So you went into the ark. It was a place of covering it for your sins. It was sealed. God didn't tell them to go in the ark. He was in the ark. He said, come in the ark. He shut the door. There were eight people in there. Eight's a number of new beginning. When they would get off that ark, everything would begin all new. He had saved them. They could go up and down and around and around during those 40 days of rain, but they couldn't go out. Same thing in your faith. You might go up and down and around and around, but you're not going out of the faith because you are sealed unto the day of redemption, the Bible says, amen? I mean, that's something to put your hands together for. You are sealed unto the day of redemption, that nothing can separate you from the love of God, Romans chapter eight. You are secure in Christ. Your security should not make you complacent. Your security should propel you to do more for Jesus Christ, amen? All right, second phase, Christ and the apostles. So he gets, he gets these 12 guys. He's, he basically was camping with them for three years, teaches them everything he knows, and he says, I'm leaving, but you got everything you need except one thing, and that's the Holy Spirit, and he's coming. He's with you now, but he will be in you, and you're gonna be empowered, so don't worry. All things are good. Final phase that we see up there, phase three, is when God culminates all things in the future kingdom. He makes all things new, new heaven, new earth, you're new, all new, all good. Amen? That's a good thing, amen? All right. Now, in that second phase, you notice there's three things that are important. It's a great commission. This is repeated throughout the scripture. The great commission is we need to be fruitful. That means we need to have new life. Everybody loves a new baby, amen? 
you better get ready, brother. You're like on countdown one week, right, or something like that. You're going to be a daddy before you know it, and you're going to have to wake up and go, oh, Lord, what happened to me? All right? He said, I was talking to him earlier, and he said, yeah, I was, uh, I've learned a lot of patience. I'm, I think I'm becoming a better man. I said, patience is just beginning. Wait till the nights of the walking dead, right? You know, you're like, why do we do this? Um, but anyway, just to encourage you. Just want you to feel good about this next stage in your life. The good thing about parenthood, it never really ends. You get to be a parent your whole life. Amen? How are we doing? We doing good? So glad you sat on the front row. Thank you so much. All right, so be fruitful. Multiply. That means you should have two children. Okay? So multiply is that we keep... See, God always worked with multiplication. He likes that more than addition. So the idea is you multiply yourself in the life of someone else, so you keep extending your walk with God and other people. And then the last one there is fill the earth, and that's the idea of missions. That is, we take the message we have all around the world. So earlier this year, we took uh, about 65 people. We went to Peru, did a crusade there. Uh, God got to see, how many of you Peru people here today? And uh, amen. And uh, we're going to, this year, in fact, we're in a meeting next week. This year, we're going to do one day LA. We're going to do the same thing we did in Peru, do it right here in our backyard. We want you to participate. We'll tell you more about it in the days ahead. But uh, we're excited about what's going to happen next year in June with one day LA. But those are the things we do because of the call on our life, because of the mandate on our life. Now, when we begin to break down that second phase, let me show you this chart. And what we see is there's five uh, principal objectives in this phase. And objective number one is evangelism. What that means is telling somebody in a compelling way about the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That that's our hope, that our sins are forgiven, that we're given new life in Jesus Christ. So evangelism is number one. Church planting is what we're doing now. You're sitting here. We planted this church, and now this becomes the incubator to, to, to bring out new life in people, to birth new life, to train people, to equip people. But you see the transition piece in that is discipleship. There's something very powerful that happens when you actually sit down and you learn and you're taught by someone who knows more than you, hopefully, who can challenge your faith and bring you to the next level of spiritual maturity. Because when that happens, guess what? You become like Christ. You see, Christ's likeness happens because of a process of discipleship, of learning, of growing into the likeness of Christ. And guess what you do then? You glorify God. So we like to look at the, the two on the left. We say, well, those are really important, aren't they? How many churches and how many people are saved? Very important. But remember, we like them because we can measure them. It's hard to measure Christ-likeness and glorifying God. I say, hey, I've got good news. Today we had 200 people that were Christ-like and 80 of them glorified God. I can't do that. But you see, that's where the power is, isn't it? Those 11 that transformed the, that, that first century world, those apostles, they were on fire for God. And guess what? God wants the same kind of fire in our life. Amen? Now, following Christ, we said this in the very first message. I want to go back and repeat it. Three things are really important. Number one, read your Bible. You got to read your Bible. And I don't mean read your Bible in a year. I mean, you say, well, that's good. I mean, go ahead and do that. I mean, pr practice the principle of quality reading. So you take a passage of Scripture, you read it, you pray over it, you ask the Holy Spirit to apply it to your life. Speak to me, because what? guess what? We want revelation reading. 
Spirit reveals to you something out of it, and we want transformational reading. That is, you are transformed from one degree of glory to another, from one level that you are in your maturity to the next level so that you read it not and go, that's cool, I got a big big head now, I got knowledge. No, you read it so that you're, you're closer to Christ. You're more like Christ in your living, amen? So you gotta read your Bible. Number two, the second thing you gotta do is gotta pray daily. And that doesn't mean you only pray when you're in an emergency or when you're speeding and the police went by. No, this is like really praying. God, I, I just want to begin by giving you glory and honor. God, you're a great God. Just start with rejoicing in the Lord. Have you ever done that? God, I just want to rejoice in you. You're a great God. You know, when you start that way, it's hard to, for your prayers to go south. But when you start like this, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. Are you anywhere around? Do you even know my name? Do you like me? I mean, I know you, I don't like me, so why would you like me? I mean, it's hard for your prayers to go up from there. Would you all agree? So if you start with, God, I want to rejoice in you. I don't understand some of the things that are going on in my life. I don't understand things going on in this world, but I know my confidence is in you. Would you just fill me? Would you guide me? Would you lead me? You see, the way that you begin your prayer is going to make a lot of difference in the way that that prayer ends as well. Because you want to go in the confidence of God because guess what? This world is supposed to be God-centric, not you-centric. When most prayers are like, you know, poor me-centric. Poor me, what do I do? I don't know where to go. Where do I go from here? No, no, let it be God-centric. Let God get in the center of everything you're doing in your life. And then the third thing is give sacrificially. The reason that, we, that giving is such a critical part of the Christian life is because we have a very easy, easy tendency to fall into, and that is greed and selfishness. And it breaks that in our life. We've well, used the example that Jesus said, the poor you will have with you always. Sounds like a negative comment, right? He basically said you will never solve poverty on planet Earth. Doesn't mean we don't try. But he says it's not going to happen. And I got to think, what a curious comment that Jesus would make. And then I thought more about it. I thought, you see, we need the poor in our life. Because have you ever noticed when you have that encounter with someone that has a lot less than you do, how you, you're thankful for who you are and what you have? And if you're not regularly encountering people that have substantially less than you, you're going to think that the world is your world. And even if you don't have much and you're living in Orange County, you're probably living better than 98% of the people on planet Earth. So, so instead of getting me-centric, get God-centric. Let things like the Bible reading and prayer and, and your sacrificial giving, let them calibrate you back to what God wants you to be in your life. All right, amen? Okay, so all that's introduction. Now let's talk about the gospel, the proclamation. And I'm gonna use two words, now and then. Can you say those words with me? Now and then. So this is a, a really kind of important concept. It may be new to you the way I'm going to lay this out. But there's a sense in which we have the gospel that's always now. We're always, it's always relevant. We're always supposed to be sharing the gospel and preaching the gospel and, and having that a big piece of our life. Because why? Because we reveal the true God when we do that. You see, there are false gods in our world. They're masquerading as gods in our life. They're things we give allegiance to, things we give attention to, things that we, we somehow just emotionally are tied to in our life, but we need to reveal the true God to the world. 
The true God is re revealed in the Word of God, the Bible, and we need to let the world know that because that's an important part of what we do in the now. The other thing we need to do is we need to restore man to God. So we need to say to man, hey, there is a God, but guess what? You can know this God. He is knowable, and he wants to know you. Now, a lot of Christians, they, they're hesitant to share their faith because they think they don't have an answer to some, some obscure question somebody's gonna ask them. Let me tell you, when somebody makes a comment you don't know the answer to, let me tell you what you tell them. You go, I don't know. But what I do know is Jesus died on the cross, he was buried, he rose from the dead, he loves me and he forgave me all my sins. And then they'll say, well, that's fine for you, but not for me. No, 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 he died for the whole world, for you too. You see, you keep driving it back to the fundamentals. It's like when Vince Lombardi was on the first day of football season, he would always pull out a football and he goes, gentlemen, this is a football. Look at it. Every angle, it's still a football. Now, we're gonna do three things with this football. We're gonna pass this football. We're gonna run this football. And we're gonna kick this football. And then he'd repeat himself. Gentlemen, this is a football. You see, if you ever forget the fundamentals of the faith, you miss the whole point. Guess what it's all about? It's about you sharing your life with someone else so their life is transformed and they get to enjoy the joy that you have in faith in Christ, amen? And then also it's fulfilling our mission. People say, I wanna know what God's will for my life is. It's simple, fulfill the mission of Jesus. Just finish it off. He gave you power, he gave you authority, he gave you his word. He said, go make disciples of all nations. You want the will of God? There it is. No, no, I mean like, what job should I have? Do whatever job you want. Just fulfill the great commission. Well, I, should, I don't know if he wants me to be a doctor or lawyer. Be both, I don't care. God doesn't care. He's not that concerned. What he's concerned about is that you walk in the fullness of the power of Almighty God in whatever profession you choose and you're equipped to do. And when you do that, you're gonna be a game changer wherever you go, amen? All right, so let's take our Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 28. This is called the Great Commission. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, verse 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus said he has how much authority? All authority. So when you feel like the devil's got the best of you, what are you doing? You're bypassing God's authority and power on earth, and you're believing the lie of the enemy. Are you with me on this? So what you're gonna say is, no, wait a minute. All authority, Jesus said, has been given to me in heaven on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Notice it doesn't say go make uh, Christians. It says make disciples, that is true followers of Christ, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe some of the things that I've taught you. Just seeing if you're awake all the things that I've taught you, right? Everything that he said was important. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Okay, so here's what he says. He said, I'm gonna be with you now, all power and authority, even to the end of this age. Because this age is coming to an end. This age is, we're gonna put up here, this is a church age. This is coming to an end. There's gonna be an event called a rapture of the church. And this is a period of tribulation. I'll be speaking on um, the return of Christ next week. It's, out of our, it's our last lesson in the, in the book, so you want to be here, bring some friends with you. So this age is going to come to an end. But now look what it says in Matthew 24, verse 9. 
And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So now, what's he talking about? He says, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the world as a witness to all nations, then the end, the end will come. This is a different Greek word, the end down here. So something's gonna happen. The gospel of the kingdom is gonna be preached in this period, and they have a second end. This is the end of the age. This is the very end. Are you with me? Say, I'm with you. All right, mostly. All right, okay, let's go on. Okay, so how did Jesus get this started? He's walking along, and he says he looks over at a guy fishing. He says, hey, why don't you come follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men. And what does the guy do? He drops his net and follows him. He sees two other guys. He goes, hey, come follow me, and they come follow him. So compelling and so powerful was this man in, in, in his, his demeanor and his words and his authority that, they, that 12 individuals followed him to be disciples. They gave up everything they had for the course of, of three years to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. So he starts with a core group of 12. Now, this is not gonna be a math class, and I'm gonna try to do that best I can, but the 12 grew. He selected 70 more individuals, he took the 12 and they trained the 70. Now we got how many? 82. We all together right now? You agree with my math? Okay, it's gonna get over my head soon, so just let me enjoy it while I got it going, amen? Okay, so now the day of Pentecost come, or Pentecost, the nucleus was 120. 120 are gathering in the upper room. They're waiting for Pentecost. All of a sudden, the power falls on this situation, and now we got 120. I'm gonna assume that the 80, 80 one, 81, because Judas is out. He got voted off the island, amen? Okay, so Judas is out. Now we got 81. I'm gonna assume they're in the 120. So now we just say 120. Are we good with that? Right? I need affirmation. I'm an only child. Okay, so, all right, so we got that. Okay, now day of Pentecost comes. Peter stands up, the guy that was all the time. Remember what Peter was doing? Oh, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't remember. He was denying the Lord. He stands up with this fire and this zeal. He said, let all, of, let all the house of Israel know this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. And it says they were pierced to their heart and 3,000 were saved that day. So now we got 3,120, right? 3,120. Is that right? Okay, rough numbers. This is where it's getting over my head, okay? We're not going any further than this. So now we go to the next chapter and 5,000 men are saved. They don't even count the women and children. I don't know why. But they have 5,000 men. So you know there was at least 10,000 women and children there. Because there's always women are always there more than the men, right? Amen? Okay, so now we've got, we've got at least, if we look at it, we've got 8,120 followers of Jesus Christ who are now bent on turning the world upside down. It's exactly what it says. In 25 years, we get to Acts chapter 17 and verse six, and it says these are the men who have turned the world upside down. In other words, everything was being run through this filter in that Roman Empire of Christ. They had made such an impact by just speaking out the word of God that people were affected by that. Go to Acts chapter 19 and verse 10. It says, all of Asia heard the word of God. All of Asia heard the word of Christ. Now what that is, that's not Asia in terms of like China, Japan, so forth. This is Asia Minor. So this would be that known Roman world there called Asia Minor. It says all of them had, been, had heard about Jesus. Let me ask you something. Does your world know about Jesus 
from your mouth. That's all that God requires. You know, you don't have to, you know, sell everything you have and go live in the darkest hut in some foreign country. You don't have to do that. But he says, you do need to take and let everybody hear about Jesus in your world. In your world. Let me give you a little statistic. These are interesting. In 1910, there were 600 million Christians in the world. In 2010, there was 2.18 billion Christians in the world. Now you say, well, all of those really committed to Christ? Probably not. But they said, I'm a follower of Jesus. They didn't say, I'm a follower of Muhammad. They didn't say, I'm a Hindu. They didn't say, I'm an atheist. No, about one-third of the world said, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. This statistic is amazing to me. In 2015, 10 million plus Muslims converted to Jesus Christ. Now let me tell you why that's important. Let's say that you raise your family and your child comes to a point of understanding and they believe on Jesus Christ. They were incubated in the faith, weren't they? And guess what? If they, if they, when they became a believer, they weren't persecuted. They didn't lose their job. They weren't tortured or killed for their faith. They were celebrated. If you're in a Muslim family, especially in the Middle East, and you profess faith in Jesus Christ, if you escape being killed, you will be persecuted, you will be disowned, and your life will be at risk all the time. So when you have 10 million Muslims that convert to Christ in one year, and it's happening every year now, what you're seeing is you're seeing the transformation of society from the inside out. News reporting only reports the outside in the threat of Iran, the threat of this country, that country, Syria, Turkey, go around the horn, you got them all right there. That's all they can do because they don't have the ability to report from the inside out what Jesus Christ is doing through his church, amen? And I'm telling you, there's some amazing things. I'm gonna give you a few statistics. Interesting that the fastest growing church in the world today is in Iran. 2019, the fastest growing church in the world is in Iran. It's an underground church. Uh, we'll talk more about it in a minute, but in May of 2019, this year, Iran's intelligence minister expressed concern over the number of Iranian Muslims converting to Christianity. In response to that, they have dispatched agents active in, quote, unquote, countering the advocates of Christianity to, act, uh, to areas where there is potential people to convert. So you know what we have happening in Iran today? The same thing was happening in Soviet Union when Christianity was crushed, you saw the church flourish. Same thing that's happened in China when you try to contain Christianity, it flourishes. And you see more and more believers coming to the forefront. You begin to see this underground movement. There's a whole underground movement in Iran right now of believers who are praying for Israel's conversion to Jesus Christ and feel like they are going to be the source and the tool to bring the Jews to faith before the Great Tribulation period. I don't know about you. If you can't put your hands together for that, I don't know what you put them together for. Amen? See, we are, we're always worried about this existential threat that's in our world. What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? We're gonna trust God. How about that for a noble thought? I mean, I'm just saying. People get all worked up by watching news headlines when they ought to be reading the Bible. You know I'm right. I'm not always right, but I'm right on this one. 
Like one guy said, I'm not always right, but I'm never in doubt. Let me go, let me go, to, this, let me go to this movement in Iran, tell you a couple of things. Uh, it's actually called the Disciple Making Movement. That's what this church is. They have no buildings, by the way. No buildings at all, because they can't. It begins with the first moment someone comes into contact with an unbeliever. So I want you to put yourself in this situation right now. You come in contact with an unbeliever. Now what do you do? This is your discipleship-making moment. This is your, your moment given by God, according to this movement. Everything is foundational on prayer. We find people of peace through prayer. We even find locations through prayer. Now let me kind of untangle that a little bit for you. When it talks about a people of peace, when Jesus sent out the disciples, he said, if you go to a house and they receive you, if there it's a household of peace, then wish them well. If they're not a household of peace, that means that they're open to the gospel and not countering the gospel or trying to you know, just crush the gospel, then, then you receive them in and you, you stay with them. You receive whatever they feed you, whatever you have, because you're on a mission. If, however, they're not a people of peace, you shake the dust off your feet, meaning that you, you can't spend your time trying to, to, to convert those who don't want to be converted. You have to keep moving into the household of peace. So what, you, what they do in Iran is they're praying, they're praying that for the, the people of peace, that they'll encounter them. But then they pray for the location. They say, Spirit of God, show me where they are. Now, this is revelation. This is what Christianity is built on, is on revelation. So now you pray and you say, God, I, I want you to show me who I need to speak to. And all of a sudden, let's just say, God shows you somebody with a red shirt on, standing on the corner of a street. And you're driving down the road and you go, look at there, there's a, a red shirt on the corner Wow, isn't that a coincidence? And you keep driving. What did you do? You bypassed the revelation that God gave you. You think, well, can God really tell you about red-shirted people on the street? Yeah. He's God. He can do some pretty cool stuff, amen? Like he can create the world before noon. I mean, he's, he's God. Why wouldn't he want to speak to you in your spirit? But what he wants you to do is when he speaks to you, he wants you to be obedient to what he shows you. Otherwise, he does, the, the revelations of the future slow down. Are you gonna receive what I have? Then, then I'm gonna give you more. All right, let me keep moving. When we do this disciple-making movement, Jesus has gone faster. This is a quote. Jesus has gone faster than us. In other words, when they pray, ask God to identify, Jesus goes ahead of them. He said, well, nobody wants to hear the gospel. Well, try this method. How about praying? How about Revelation. Now look what it says. He has come in their dreams or he's coming miraculously in their lives. So they show up and they encounter someone and you begin to talk to them. They go, you know, Jesus came to my dreams last night. This is happening over and over and over again in the Middle East where Muslims are having these revelations of Jesus Christ in their dream life. You see, if there's no Bible, it's no problem. God's got angels. He's got dreams. He's got visions. He's got all kinds of sneaky things he does. Amen? He's Jehovah Sneaky. You think it all has to be your way. No, God, God's got all kinds of cool things he does. All right, now watch this. It says, when we hear this, we know that Jesus has gone ahead of us. So somebody says, I had a vision. Oh, you mean Jesus has already been here. So I, now this is easy. Keep going. One thing powerful with disciple-making movement is that it is obedient-based discipleship. This is so powerful here, guys. I want you to listen. 
This, it is obedient-based. The question is, will you be obedient if God shows you something in his word or by his spirit? See, that's the question. Will you be obedient? You're reading along, you go, God tells you something like, love your enemy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ain't gonna happen. All of them but one. No, love your enemy. You can't move further with God until you're obedient to what he's shown you. The place of departure in your life is the place of return. You have to come back to what God has already said and say, I'm gonna do that. So here's what they say, obedience-based. It is based on the authority of Scripture, and every time you read the Scripture, you must obey it. What would happen if you're regularly reading your Bible, like we suggested, and then all of a sudden, every time you saw something, and you said, I'm gonna do that. I've made this commitment that whenever the Spirit of God prompts me to pray for somebody, I pray, and can I be honest with you? It's never like convenient. And I always kind of do this thing, like, are you sure, God, is this the right one I need to pray for? I mean, why do I do that? You know, I know you all wouldn't do that, but I do that. Let's just be honest here. And I'll say, okay, God, I'm gonna go ahead and pray. And then the Spirit of God will go, don't give me one of those cheesy Christian prayers. Give me a good prayer. You ever had a cheesy prayer? How about, a, how about for dinner when you're hungry? Lord, just think of this food, amen. That's a cheesy Christian prayer. Right? Lord, or how about this one? Lord, bless me. Holy Spirit's going, what kind of blessing you want? Bible says it's blessed as a man has a quiver full of children. That's seven. <laughs> I'm just saying, brother. You see, God bless me. How, what kind, I got millions of blessings, God's saying. He says, I want you to speak to, to me with the, the very specific, you know, being very specific about what you want me to do in your life because that's how I answer prayers. It's a blessing to be pregnant, right? I ain't praying that prayer. Are you with me? So know how to pray when you pray and be very specific about what God is doing in your life. So you must obey. This is how people become conformed to the image of Christ and are sanctified. They are not just reading the Bible for information. They're reading the Bible to get transformed. All right, so in the now, our job is to present a compelling presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone we know. That's our job in the now. It never changes. It's not for some. It's for all. Amen? You got that? And, and, and you don't have to go to school to get this. You don't have to be super qualified. If Jesus saved you, just tell people that. Jesus saved me. He, he was buried. He rose from the dead. And they'll say, well, I don't know if I believe that. I, that's okay. I'm just, my job is just to tell you. Because the Bible says in John 6 that no man can come to the Father unless the Spirit draw him. You got, you got teamwork going here. Holy Spirit's over here. He's doing this. You're just going, I, I can't answer all your questions. I'm not that smart, don't know the Bible that well, but I know one thing, he saved me. You just keep that broke, broken record going. You just tell the same story. Yeah, I know, you know, philosopher so-and-so, Hegel and Kierkegaard and all these guys, you're dropping on you and going like, man, I'm sure those guys were great, but you know, they should have gotten saved too. There's something very appealing when you don't try to build an argument for the gospel. You never lead people to Christ through arguing. You lead them through love. 
It's hard to beat love when you're telling somebody about Christ. I know, I'm so sorry. I, I don't know the answers, but I just, I just, you know, God tells me just to love everyone, and I just, I think the greatest act of love I can give you is to tell you about Jesus. That's all. All right. That's the now. Now we're going to talk about the then. God loves to give a witness, that is, to remind us about things. So he says in the Old Testament, everything is verified by two witnesses. When God really wants to, to demonstrate something, he does it with threes. For example, three days he was in the face of the earth, right? And then he rose from the dead. Three days were the three witnesses of the days. Now, in the, in the, during the time of tribulation, God is going to give three witnesses of the gospel. People will say, well, what about those who've never heard the gospel? The real question is, why haven't you told them? Why haven't you sold everything you had and gone and spoken to the aborigine? But let's just, let's just bypass that potential guilt in our life for a moment. All right? And let's just go to this. So God says you do the very best you can. You get the gospel out everywhere you go. You, do, you spend your money, you spend your time, you spend your energy, you pray, you do all those things you can, and guess what? The end of the age will come. It's gonna come. I don't have to wait until the last single person on planet Earth has heard the gospel for me to return. I get to do that when I want. I'm God. But now watch this. But God says I'm gonna get a witness out to everyone. So what does God do? Well, he does this in three ways. First, there's 144,000 Jewish evangelists that he's gonna turn loose on planet Earth during the Great Tribulation period. The Bible says there's 12,000 from each tribe of the nation of Israel. It says they're male and they're virgins. So God is turning these 144,000, it's not Jehovah's Witnesses, sorry folks. The Bible says they're Jewish, and do you realize that we're living in a day where you never could have known the lineage of someone without the DNA knowledge that we have today? Do you realize that it, it may be possible tomorrow to identify the, the, literally the tribes of Israel, not just where your family came from? It's a new day. This scripture is telling us there's gonna, that's gonna happen because, oh yeah, prove it. Well, we can prove it, look. All right, so let's look what the scripture says. Revelation chapter seven and verse four. I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000, all of the tribes of the children of Israel. Now, I encourage you to read chapter seven because it'll give you a little bit more than I'm gonna give you today that we have time to develop. But Revelation chapter seven uh, and verses nine and 10. After these things I looked, this is John the apostle, and a great multitude which no one could number. So John, he sees 144,000, then he sees all this great multitude of people, he can't even count them. They're just like, they go on and on and on and on. And his heart is like, it's just like filled with what's going on here. He says, I saw them of, na of all nations, tribes and peoples, tongues, standing before the throne, before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they were crying out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. How did that great multitude come to faith during the great tribulation? It was first of all through the 144,000. This is a great revival that will happen. One of the great moments in, in, in the tribulation period where people come to faith 
in God, where the kingdom actually begins to explode on planet Earth, and we know that there are believers that happen during the Great Tribulation because they suffer the fate as martyrs. Second witness. Let's take you the second witness. That's the angel. Revelation chapter 14 and verse six, then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel. All right, remember, we got 144,000 during the tribulation period. Now all of a sudden, an angel begins to fly worldwide, worldwide, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth to every nation, every tribe, every tongue, and every people. Anyone that you miss, the angel's gonna cover. Anyone the 144,000 couldn't get to, the angel's gonna cover. You know, we say, well, why didn't he just depend on us? Duh. Because we ain't getting it done. And he wants every person to have a viable, clear, presentation of what does it mean to be a follower of God? What does it mean to enter into the kingdom of God? He says, I'm gonna start with 144,000, then I'm gonna go to the angel with the everlasting gospel, and then I'm gonna send two witnesses. And this is amazing. The two witnesses, we find them in Revelation chapter 11 and verse three. He said, I will give power to my two witnesses. Now people have speculated, who are these two witnesses? I believe the first one's Enoch, and the second one's Elijah. You see, Enoch, it says in Genesis chapter five, that he walked with God and he was not for God took him. Do you realize that Enoch never died? There's a second person in the Old Testament never died. His name was Elijah, 2 Kings chapter uh, one. And it says that Elijah was taken up in a chariot of fire, so he didn't die either. The Bible says in Hebrews, it's appointed to all men to die once and then the resurrection. For that scripture to be true, Every person has to die once or be caught up at the rapture. And so I believe it's Enoch and it's Elijah. But let's see what happens here. This is amazing. They will prophesy 1,260 days and they're clothed in sackcloth. Now, sackcloth was a symbol of mourning. They're saying our message is part about we're broken for the lostness of society. What would happen if you put on your spiritual sackcloth? and get burdened for the people around you that don't know Jesus. It says they had on this sackcloth. And I'm gonna tell you the rest of the story. Again, this is another one, great read, chapter 11, book of Revelation. So they began to preach, and all of a sudden the move of God began to happen. And people were responding. And finally it says, and they were working miracles, and then it says the beast, okay, the satanic trinity, the beast came and killed them. And it says the people let their dead bodies lie in the streets so everyone all over the world could see them. Now, if you're not careful, you're gonna miss this. John writes this in the first century, 2,000 years ago. And he says that when they kill the two witnesses, the entire world will be able to see them at one time. Do you realize we're living in a day where technology can make that possible? The DNA made it possible for us to identify tribes. In the future, I believe it will. And secondly, we see here the technology will allow them to see. Now, so wicked are these people in that time that it said they rejoiced over their deaths and they sent, they sent presents to one another. Can you imagine? like Christmas. Finally, we got them out of here. And then what does God do? He raises them up. And then it says fear came upon the whole earth. God sent three witnesses. 
He wants us to be witnesses of his. Amen? We're the witness. We're the witness. Don't ever think you don't have what it takes to be a witness for Jesus. You do. It really just takes telling your story. Just being faithful. You say, well, is it kind of scary, isn't it? Sure it is. Because we all want to be liked so much, we're afraid what they're going to think of us. My dad used to say, what makes you think they're even thinking about you? Ah, never thought of that. Tell the story. You say, well, I don't, I don't know if I have what it takes. Well, let me, let me ask you something. When, I want you to go back in your mind to the day that you found Christ. Maybe you don't know the exact day. Maybe it was just kind of a, I was maybe seven. Maybe you knew with great, great detail. You said, no, I, was, I remember how old I was. I remember where I was. I remember what time it happened, all those kind of things. Okay, let me ask you something. Did the Holy Spirit come upon you in that moment? If he didn't, he didn't come to faith in Christ. Because the Bible says, if you don't have the Spirit of God, you're not any of his. When the Holy Spirit came, what did he come to do? He didn't come just to save you. He came to empower you. Acts chapter 1. Let's look at this. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. When do I get power? When the Holy Spirit comes upon me. Maybe you need a fresh baptism of the Spirit today. Maybe you need to just go back and rekindle the, the fire that was, burn, was burning for a while in you, and, and now the embers have just gotten cold and you don't have much going on in your life, but you say, you know, but I want that in my life. I think every Christian wants to burn with God. I think every Christian wants to, to have confidence in prayer. I think every Christian wants to go out, but sometimes we just let ourselves get in the way of what God's doing in our life. But what if you say, God, I'm going to take the stick and stir up the coals. I'm going to put some fresh wood on the fire today. Amen. I want to burn bright for Jesus. I don't want to be burnt out. I want to be burning fire all the time for God. It says, you shall receive witness. You shall receive the Holy Spirit when he's coming upon you. You should be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. That's what I want to do. We have a global mandate as well as a local mandate for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can't stop. We can't let pettiness and all of our hurt feelings get in the way of what God wants to do. We don't have time for that. Amen. Do you realize every time we feel sorry for ourselves, we, we don't feel like talking to anybody about Jesus because we've become man-centric and not God-centric. If I start with God, I say, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? I, I can't really get too worried about me because guess what? He's going to take care of me anyway. If I don't think God's taking care of me, where's my faith? How can God save me and can't get me out of the mess I'm in now? I can cave you out of hell, but everything else you're on your own. Sorry, Phil. No, no, no. God wants to be God of all of our life. And I want, I want you to just take up the mantle and just be a powerful witness for God wherever you go.